Freedom is hard. We all want it, but it's hard. Uh, it's hard in every sphere. A few years ago, the, when the, uh, the press secretary for the president was Sarah Huckabee, she wanted to go to eat in a restaurant. And so she went to a restaurant in Maryland, and the restaurant recognized her and didn't like her and refused to serve her. And so she got on Twitter and talked about being refused service. And all her Twitter followers started protesting that restaurant. And the restaurant got mad about that and started protesting the protest. And, uh, and one of my favorite writers, David French, uh, took to Twitter and he said, Sarah Huckabee's free to eat wherever she wants to eat. Restaurants are free to deny service to anybody they want to deny service. Sarah Huckabee's free to tweet whatever she wants to tweet. Her followers are free to protest anybody they want to protest. Freedom is hard. Freedom is hard. Have you figured that out? We come into the world wanting freedom. One of our first sentences was something along the lines of, me do it, uh, leave me alone, let me, let me be free, let me do it my way. But we also come into the world designed, hardwired for approval. You need approval. You need approval from someone. And that approval that we need from first from our parents and then from our peers and then from ourselves, it ends up becoming a slavery, and, and we can't live without it. We need that voice saying, good job, you did it today. And until we get it, we become slaves of work, slaves of success, slaves of, of, of just seeking something. I had an intern, a female intern, when I was a campus minister, and she said whenever her mom wanted to comfort her, whenever she would come home from school uh, crying because the girls at school had been mean to her, she, her mom would look at her and say, Honey, you're much prettier than they are. And she became a slave to her appearances, and, and the mirror became a slave master for her. Uh, my wife is a physical therapist, uh, not a personal trainer now, and she does these assessments. When you join her gym, she'll take you in and help you decide what your goals are and make those goals smart, you know, attainable and reachable and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things she has you do is stand on the scale. And it is funny, some of these women, uh, and she only gets women, this is not a sexist comment, uh, will not stand on the scale. Just won't. Just her, nobody else in the world is going to see it, will not do it. Because they're slaves to the scale. That number is not a number of how much they weigh. That number tells them how valuable they are as a human, and they're slaves to it. We become slaves to approval, most of us. But some of us, we decide we're going to ignore that voice. We run away from that need for approval, and we uh, hush it, and we, we run, and we, we just decide we're going to seek uh, pleasure wherever we can. We're going to seek freedom wherever we can, and all is well and good until we try to stop living that life of freedom. And we find out that we've become slaves to our addictions, slaves to the food, to the drink, to the entertainment. Have you tried to put your phone down for a week? I was playing golf uh, Thursday with a good friend, and I, he, we met here at the church, and he threw his golf clubs in my car, and we drove out to the course, and he was shocked and appalled to find out he had left his phone in the car and had to spend four hours without it. I mean, he, he must have grabbed for it for a, th a thousand times. 
Slaves to the phone, slaves to those people who were sending him life-changing texts and, and needed him desperately at that particular moment. And some of us, we, we reject the, the need for approval from others and we reject the, this, this self-medicating uh, freedom for ourselves and we just kind of become the voice of slavery, telling everybody else whether they match up or not. We've been good. We've kept the rules. But nobody else has. No one else really lives under our approval because, I mean, if people would just do it right and do it the way we want them to do it, then everything would be fine, but they just won't do it right. And we've lived our whole life serving God, and He kind of should be in servitude to us too by now. Why won't He give us what we deserve? And we live our lives enslaved to this this box, this solitary confinement prison that we've built for ourselves because nobody's good enough for us. Freedom's hard. Freedom is hard. And the book of Galatians, which we're going to be studying from now until Thanksgiving, is the book of freedom. He concludes it in chapter 5 by saying, It is for freedom that you have been set free. Do not submit to a yoke of slavery to anyone. It has been for freedom that Christ has set you free. And what the book of Galatians teaches us is this. Until you have been captivated, until you have been taken captive by the love of Christ, you'll never be free. The only freedom comes from hearing from him who you are. And once you receive that, you can never be a slave again. Let's start this study now by reading the first nine verses of the book of Galatians. Please stand with me. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle... Not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and, the God, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So far, so good. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The gospel is good news. It's the good news of this perfect truth that frees us from all forms of slavery and delivers us into the freedom of being captivated by Christ. The gospel is the perfect 
truth of our freedom. It's the perfect truth of our freedom. Uh, it's perfect, and it's true. What is the truth? First thing I want you to see is that the truth is that you have been delivered, if you are in Christ, you have been delivered by the giving of himself for our sins. He sacrificed himself for our sins, from our sins. He sacrificed himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, from the sins of of the world. He sacrificed himself to deliver us by the will of God the Father. And you know what's beautiful about that? And we're going to see this over and over again pretty much every week. That is 100% passive on your part. He did it. He did it all. He gave himself for you to deliver you according to the will of God the Father for you. You were passive. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to uh, present yourself to him uh, as as, as a, a worthy option. You simply received it. You simply received it. You were like uh, a, a caterpillar surrounded in a ring of fire, according to Martin Luther. There's no direction you can go. You're just simply not fast enough to get through those flames. You had no hope. And, and you ha- were saved by someone else sticking your hand in and pulling you out. You just received it. Um, we, we are desperate, and we are in need of freedom. We're in need of, uh, to be free from that feeling of judgment that we carry around. Either it's our dad's voice from years ago or our mom's voice or our own voice. But we know we're unworthy. Maybe we're slaves to... Um, maybe we're slaves to, to regret. Maybe we look back over our lives and we wonder, did any, was anything I did worth it? Did I waste my whole life? Did I really love anybody? Was I loved by anybody? Am I, am I just a, a king of a junkyard? I've, I've lived my life amassing stuff and, a, and amassing credentials that honestly just don't matter to anyone am I a, a slave to my resume if I if I'm not the best in my field I, I feel unworthy but I take one step away and I'm forgotten immediately am I a slave to to myself I live with this voice of self-condemnation I the <laughs> disappointment becomes despair because I I just feel like I can't forgive myself for what I've become or what I've done or what I've not done. And my own voice is the voice of of condemnation. And I can't get myself out of it. Somehow me looking at me saying, I forgive me, isn't enough. I can't get myself out of that because I am the failure. That, that makes sense. I'm the one who is disappointed with me. I'm the one questioning me. It's like, um, it's like when children are, are come in from playing in mud, uh, mud pies, making mud pies. 
the last thing in the world you want them to do is to even come in your house. And you certainly don't want them to come in your house and try to clean themselves up. Because they can't. They are the problem. And all they can do is passively stand there while you clean them. I remember, uh, gosh, as clear as it was yesterday, my little Harold coming up to me going, Dad, can we play in the mud? Yeah. Can we bathe in mud? Sure. But you're not coming in this house. And when they're finished, I wouldn't even let them touch the water hose, right? It's just stand there. Let me spray you down. You are the source of dirt. <laughs> you can't be the source of cleanliness. We're the source of, 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 of what's not working out in our lives, and doing more of it or doing it harder isn't going to make us all of a sudden clean. We have to receive it. We're helpless. We are like the, the land that receives the rain. We're, we're parched. Hasn't rained since June. We're desperate. We have seeds within us. Something good could happen to us if we were to just receive rain, but we can't do anything in our own souls, in our own hearts. We can't do anything to make it rain. We can just receive it. That's where we are. We're passive. We're waiting upon God. Now, that's good news. You may not think that's good news. But it's the only thing that will free you from wondering if you've done it right. It's the only thing that will. And when you're alone in bed, when you are facing your own mortality, when you're facing, uh, you know, looking back over your life and wondering, uh, did you do it right? And can it be redeemed? Can you be redeemed? Can you be saved? Were you good enough? The only thing that will give you peace of conscience is the absolute knowledge that your salvation is passive, that you did nothing to earn it. If you go to bed wondering, was I good enough? The answer is no. Did, was, I, was I honest enough? No. Did I come to God with a clear enough, uh, clear enough motives? Was my coming to God you know, free from selfish desires? No. You came to God because you were afraid. Or because you wanted to go to heaven. That's a selfish desire. Or you didn't want to go to hell. That's a selfish desire. And I love those people who, they try, they're trying so hard to, to, to thread the needle between works and, and righteousness and faith. And so they say, well, if you called out to God and you did it sincerely, were you sincere enough? Absolutely not. You were not sincere enough. See, we can't thread the needle between works righteousness and passive grace. It's either passive or it's not. It's perfect. You can't mess with it. It's like black cherry Kool-Aid. I, I feel sorry for those of you who grew up in a crystal light world where all you had to do was add water. Black cherry Kool-Aid was the first thing that most of us, many of us my age and older, uh, the first recipe we ever got to follow. It was a simple recipe, uh, and it was the best substance on earth. It was deep red. It stained everything it touched, including your lips and many, many t-shirts. It, it, it would never wash out, and it was rich in taste and uh, strong, and I want it right now so bad I can't stand it. 
And uh, the recipe was simple. Two quarts of water and a cup of sugar. That's right, a cup. No wonder it was wonderful. We used to call it diabetes in a cup. But you know, when you're a little boy and you're making black cherry Kool-Aid, you think you can improve it. If one cup of sugar is good, two cups of sugar must be awesome. If one package of black cherry Kool-Aid is good, then three would be great. And you soon find out there's no improving perfection. It's either perfect or it's not. And that's the gospel. You can't add anything to it and it still be perfect. And, and the gospel of our passive obedience, our receiving salvation without doing anything to earn it, it sounds, it sounds scary to those of us who've earned everything our entire life. Right? Man, that's scary. Because I'm, I am who I am because I'm better than you. But if it's just passive, if all I can do is nothing, then how do I know I'm better than you? What do I have to trust? If I can't trust this, if I can't trust me, what can I trust? If it's passive, if all I can do is receive it, Martin Luther asked himself that question uh, in his uh, introduction to Galatians. He says, so is there nothing I can do? And I wish I spoke German. I do know this German word, right? Nein! <laughs> no, nothing. You can only receive it. And as you receive it, it changes you and it makes you perfect. You're unable to do anything. And you're not ready for this salvation until you understand that you are not ready, you're not able to do anything. As long as you assume that you did it yourself, you'll never be able to give grace to anyone else, and you'll never be able to live without self-condemnation because you just always are wondering, is it good enough? Is it good enough? The answer is, it's perfect. But it's God's work. It's not yours. And it's a truth, like I said, that cannot be improved upon. It cannot be taken away. Look at verses 6 through 9. Paul's angry um, because this perfect gospel that he left in Galatia is being, uh, is being polluted. It's being polluted by the addition of works. It's being polluted by the addition of our effort. Sure, it's great that you were saved by grace, but surely you're not going to live by that stuff. You've got to get that law back into you, and you've got to start obeying it. And he says, I am astonished, he's very angry, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And he says, you're turning to a different gospel. I want you to, those are two powerful things. You're not deserting a message, you're deserting him who called you. You're deserting God. God only works with us receiving. He doesn't work in tandem with us. He doesn't work uh, at our beck and call. He only works as our Lord and Savior. And so if you desert this message, you're deserting Him. And you're deserting Him uh, by turning to a different gospel, which is not good news, because there is no other gospel. There's only the truth, the perfect truth, and distorted gospels. And then he goes on to say, if we, this is powerful, right? 
He's not saying that the, the authority comes upon me. The authority is from the message. Even if I try to change this message, let me become anathema. Let me be cursed. Let me spend my eternity under damnation if I try to change a word of this message. As I've already said, and then he repeats it, as I've already said, and I'm saying it again, if anybody preaches any other gospel truth, good news, word of redemption, other than this, let him be eternally condemned. It's perfect. And you need to know that was a, a challenge in Galatia 2,000 years ago, and it's a challenge today. And, and there's two big ways in which we, uh, we pollute this truth. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them the young way and the old way. Um, but you need to know that despite all evidence to the contrary, I'm including myself under the young way. And so you get to pick for yourself. So the young way is to say that it's one of many truths, right? It's one of many. The gospel's good news. Yoga's good news. Buddhism's good news. Hinduism's good news. It's all good news. I, and, and this is it's a very current flavor in the world today. The world today is asking, uh, basically says, whatever works for you is fine. Just don't force it on anybody else. Whatever works for you is fine. You know, Tim Keller says the, the, when people leave his church, it's always the same. They'll come, they'll get converted, they'll be baptized, they'll be active, and then all of a sudden he won't see them again for six or seven months, and he wonders where they've gone, and, and someone will go after them, and they'll say, well, yeah, you know, the, the gospel really worked for me then, but I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend now, and this is working for me now. And I, I just, I, I need you to understand this. If your mentality is that whatever works for you is true, then it's still up to you. And it's going to fail you every time because it's up to you. And something that is up to you cannot save you from you. If it becomes meditation, are you doing it good enough? If it becomes Buddhism, are you striving hard enough? If it becomes, uh, you know, Confucianism, are you, are you studying the wisdom hard enough? Is it up? If it's up to you, if it's just one of many truths, then whether or not it works is up to you, and you will never be good enough. And that's just not the message. It's like, well, more importantly, it's like this. If your mentality about religion and, and religious truth is kind of like you're walking through a celestial Hallmark gift shop, and, you know, here's your little Buddha statue, and he's all cute and cuddly, and you kind of want to poke his belly, and here's your little, you know, meditation garden, and here's your little Jesus. Have y'all seen the plush Jesus doll that they sell at Hallmark these days? Oh, my. And, uh, you know, and you get to decide which one to pick up. I'm going to say this as gently as possible. God does not work that way. He decides who to pick up. God, Jesus gave himself for our sins according to the will of God the Father. And he's never going to let you be the Lord of the gift shop. 
You either receive it, thankfully, wonderfully aware of your own inability, or you got the wrong thing. There is no other gospel. There's no slightly improved gospel. There's only one piece of good news that God has come and sent his son. God has come in the form of a man to save us from this present evil age. So the, the way we pervert it today is by denying it exists. We say there is no truth, or worse, and I'm going to call this the older way, which is also me. We just get it wrong. We believe there's truth, but we're committed to the wrong truth. We're committed to the truth of morality. We're committed to the truth of being good. And if I'm good enough, if I'm obedient enough, if I'm patriotic enough, if my grades are high enough, if I don't cheat on my wife, if I marry as a virgin, then everything will work out for me. Then, then I am a Christian because I've done everything right. And that's not passive obedience either. It's the opposite of it. And that's the, that's the truth that we believe, but it's not the gospel. It's not good news because we're not good enough. And what it does, if you'll look at us both individually, people like me and around me, and you'll look at us as a culture, you'll see that our gospel has turned us into prideful, angry adults who just don't understand why everybody else won't behave. And we're angry at them for ruining our world. And we don't understand why God hasn't given us what we deserve because we followed his rules. There was a terrible movie in the 90s called Legends of the Fall. And I kind of hope you didn't see it. But if you did, you may remember the final scene. Aiden Quinn's looking at Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt's looking very studly. And he's been the rebel the whole show, and Aiden's been the good brother the whole show. It's the story of the prodigal son, essentially, but without repentance. And um, at the end of the show, Aiden Quinn looks at Brad Pitt and says, all my life I followed all the rules of God and man, but they loved you more. They just loved you more. And we're all Aiden Quinn looking at our younger prodigal brothers going, why are you ruining things? Why can't you just be good? And that anger, that self-righteousness, that pride should show us that we have it all wrong. That our gospel is a false gospel. The gospel can't make you arrogant if you understand that it's passive. All you did to attract God to you was lie there dead in the morgue. And he walked in and he woke you up and he showed you your need. And he gave you the grace and he gave you life. And if you understand that, you can't be judgmental. You can't be angry because all you've done is received it. The gospel comes along and says to us, those of us in the older group, all you need for salvation, for joy, for true freedom, all you need is nothing. But when I look at you, I can clearly see you don't have it. Your hands are full of your good deeds. They're full of your resume. They're full of your success. And you're going to have to throw that junk away to have hands empty enough to receive grace. 
all we, all we ever need for salvation. All, the only thing God requires of us is nothing. But those of us who grew up in the church doing the rules right, we simply don't have it, do we? What does the Apostle Paul say about that stuff? He says, he, he looks over his life in Philippians chapter 2 and he says, When it comes to the law, I was perfect. Who would say that? <laughs> Who in here would look at their life and go, When it came to following the rules of God and man, I was perfect. That's what he says about himself. And he says, Now I count it all as scubula. I'm going to teach you a little Greek word, scubula. You're wondering, what's scubula, I wonder? Well, if you ever walk your dog and he squats in someone else's yard and he leaves a package of scubula, you're expected to pick it up in a baggie. That warm, steaming pile is scubula. And that's all your righteousness and that's all your rule-keeping and that's all your Sunday school memorization and it's all your sacrifice. It's scubula. Isaiah calls our righteousness filthy rags. All you need is nothing, but we just don't have it. But there is this truth, and the truth is that the Lord has saved us too. Not even arrogant fools like us are beyond salvation, and He's come to us, and He saves us too. And, and this truth is practical, and it changes us. It validates who we are. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. The first word of, the sin, uh, of this uh, book, after his name, uh, is not, not. Paul, not an apostle by human tradition. Not. Isn't that funny? The, what, what do 90% of you struggle with? Why are you so tired all the time? It's because you can't say no. And you can't say no because you don't know who you are. You only exist by what other people think about you. And if you said no to something, they might think that you're weak or they might think you're a bad person. But not the Apostle Paul. His first word out of his mouth is no. I'm, I'm, I don't live by what you think of me. He says at the end here, I, am I still trying to please man? If I was trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. It's not that I disdain you. It's that I know who I am. And who I am is who God has made me to be. I am his son. Or in Paul's case, I'm an apostle by his word. Don't you want that? Don't you want that kind of freedom? Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 4 says, I don't even judge myself. Don't you want that kind of freedom? You see, when, when your righteousness is passive, when it's given to you, you can't mess it up not. You're, you're free. You know exactly who you are, and it's a, it gives you perfect boundaries. You're free, from, uh, you're free from the judgment of men. You're free from sin. You're not an addict to sin. You've been freed from this present evil age, he says. You can enjoy God's good gifts without becoming enslaved to them because you're a new creation. You can say no now. You have to exercise those muscles, but you're free from sin. You're free from your own standards. You're free from your own works. You're free to say, you know, I, I, did, I didn't do my best. Nobody's ever done their best. But I did good work today, and I'm free to walk home. I'm okay with that. I don't have to live according to what my boss thinks or did I do better than my colleagues. The only question is, 
Am I God's son? And the answer is yes. Yes, I know who I am. That's true freedom. Freedom from addiction, freedom from judgment, freedom from approval, freedom from regret. If it's passive, then God did it at exactly the right time. Uh, there's a man named John Boring. Can you imagine going through life with the last name of Boring? That would be tough. Uh, junior high was hard for him. He was converted at 78 years old. He's in his 90s now. And when he was converted, the first words out of his mouth were, I just, I just wasted so much time. and I'm, I'm just sorry that it took me so long. And sweet John Lynch looked him in the eyes and said, You, brother, are right on time. You're right on time. This is the day God has appointed for you. This is the day of salvation. If it's passive, you're free from regret. It came at exactly the right time, at exactly the right day, because it was God's work. It wasn't yours. Do you want that kind of freedom? Freedom from regret, freedom from judgment, freedom from self-condemnation, freedom from condemnation from the world. Do you want that? It only comes by being captivated by the perfect, passive, righteousness of Jesus. And it's for you today. If you come today, you're right on time. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we do uh, receive it. We receive your righteousness, this word of grace. We receive freedom from all those regrets that we carry around. We receive freedom from the fear of a life that was poorly lived and it's going to fall short. We receive your freedom from death. We receive your freedom from self-condemnation. We just lie here on the ground as the ground, receiving your sweet reign of grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.